Welcome to Rocking Our Priors. I'm your host, Dr. Alice Evans. Now, what led to the emergence of states? What explains their timing and geography? Did peasants embrace state protection or were they forced to stay put? Theories include cereals, which could be hoarded and used to feed armies, or collective defence against nomads on the steppe, or perhaps it was military innovations like cavalry and chariots. Perhaps it was trade, stationary bandits collected rents and provided shelter. Or maybe it was moralistic punishment and pro-sociality, enabling large-scale cooperation. Here's another alternative. Spatially concentrated resources that discouraged exit. Back in 1970, Robert Canero proposed circumscription theory. Groups battle for control over scarce arable lands. Then the losers are compelled to submit because the ecological alternatives are too bleak. Now, in some places, this seems obviously true. See my recent podcast on ancient Egypt and Nubia. But is it valid more broadly? David Schonholzer and Peter Francois have a fascinating new paper which harnesses several ginormous global historical data sets. The, archeo- the Atlas of World Archaeology, the Seshat Global Historical Data Bank and Pre-State agricultural productivity. And to paraphrase, paraphrase a mix a lot, I like big data. So let's get stuck in. Circumscription is calculated by computing the difference between the productivity in a cell and the average productivity of all surrounding cells. Across the American Midwest and Western Eurasian steppes, pre-state agricultural productivity is pretty similar. So circumscription scores as low. Whereas in the fertile valleys of the Nile, Oaxaca and the basin of Mexico, circumscription is high. This is strongly associated with state formation. When resources are especially rich, you might, to quote Sir Mix-a-Lot, be thinking about sticking So Schoenholzer and Francois show that systematically where agricultural productivity is high and exit options are weak, uh, that's more associated with early state formation. Now, here's another question. Was this cooperation or compulsion? Schoenholzer and Francois have created a tremendous timeline of early state formation. They show both the general trend and regional specifics. They use this to probe whether states emerged through cooperation or compulsion. Now, what do they find? Well, organized warfare, that is defensive ramparts and professional armies, usually precede states. This is consistent with Peter Turchin and others' argument that military advances enabled large empires. But, in the case of Egypt and the Kachi Plain, signs of intergroup conflict only emerge after state formation. Okay, what about public goods? These are you know, food storage facilities, irrigation systems, roads, drinking water supply systems, or ports. These appear before state formation in every single state region. 
trade also appears before state formation in all but two cases. Population pressure typically precedes what they call hereditary status, that is legal codes, organised religion and inequality. Hereditary status generally emerges alongside or after states. Now that to me seems to cast doubt on Henrich's theory that moralizing supernatural punishment was a necessary catalyst of large-scale cooperation. Religion may have nonetheless played a crucial role, subsequently legitimizing hierarchy. Now to me all this seems to validate Graeber and Wenkrow's claim that urban settlements do not entail hierarchy. The Indus Valley civilization is a good example. No evidence has been found for elaborate tombs, individual aggrandizing monuments, large-scale temples and palaces. The archaeological evidence suggests egalitarianism. Now, also interestingly, there seems to be faster socioeconomic change in circumscribed regions. Schoenholz and Francois compare societies that had long pre-state histories, alluvial agriculture and similar times since the Neolithic transition, but different degrees of circumscription. Now, in circumscribed regions like the Kachi Plain, the domestication of crops is swiftly followed by trade, public good like irrigation, organised conflict and inequality. By contrast, in the Middle Ganges wet, where you could exit like a turbo vet, these phenomena took another 3,000 years to appear. Schoenholzer and Francois then compare the characteristics of all non-state societies. They find that circumscription doesn't just predict states, it predicts many kinds of conflict and cooperation. Organised warfare public goods and trade were much more common among pre-state societies located in circumscribed regions. These differences are just so big. 76% of circumscribed pre-state societies had public goods, in contrast to 20% of comparison cities. So, Also, food storage facilities were much more common in circumscribed regions. James Scott famously argued that appropriable cereal grains led to the rise of states. That's recently been corroborated by Mashur et al. However, work by Schoenholzer and Francois implies this theory is in trouble. The authors don't discuss it, but Mashur's correlation may be spurious. People in circumscribed regions were much more likely to build public goods, like food storage facilities. It is precisely these places that saw the emergence of states. Social dynamics, therefore, be mu- that may be more important than cereals versus tubers. Now, here's another fun fact for you. One-fifth of pre-state societies were hierarchical. Social stratification, that is hereditary status, does not systematically vary between circumscribed and non-circumscribed pre-state societies. Now, Jean-Holz and Francois do not discuss this, but personally, I'm hooked and I can't stop staring. 
Twenty percent of pre-state societies were hierarchical. Well, Graeber and Wenkro thus appear incorrect to claim that states locked in inequality. Hierarchy, while uncommon, sometimes preceded states. Furthermore, hierarchy appears just as frequent in ecologies with great exit options as those with terrible exit options. My interpretation: rulers may have enforced oppression through ideological persuasion. Now, I've got to be straight. I don't think the evidence is sufficiently strong to rule out materialistic mechanisms, especially since their data set excludes fishing and pastoralism. Moreover, the absence of evidence should not be confused for evidence of absence, especially if it concerns something that happened five thousand years ago. But I think this indicates humans' tremendous power of cultural innovation. Now, Schönholzer and Francois conclude that, and I quote, environmental circumscription facilitated early state formation, both through coercive and cooperative channels. I must lodge one objection, however. Schönholzer and Francois frame coordination and compulsion as a binary. Were states imposed imposed by force, or did people choose to cooperate? But as you may know, the meme of the girl in the old El Paso commercial. Why not both? Merchant citizens may have cooperated as a privileged fraternity, while subjugating women and slaves. Athens, for example, was a direct democracy comprising all male citizens. Each had the right to voice his opinion and debate at length. Boozy parties facilitated group bonding. Men reclined on couches, all at the same level. The Athenian wine vessel seen on my Substack depicts that egalitarianism. Women and slaves, meanwhile. Was subordinated, so Schönholzer and Francois' theory, their binary that was it a coordinated or coerced effort, omits a really crucial aspect of early states: the capture and coercion of slaves and, of course, concubines. So let me summarize: David Schönholzer and P- Peter Peter Francois' brilliant new paper suggests that states were neither imposed by elites nor entailed by crop type. Nor a result of early religion, cooperation, conflict, and state formation all seem to have emerged much more quickly and more typically in rich ecologies with weak exit options. And I think that's eight references to Baby Got Back by Sir Mix-a-Lot. Thank you very much for listening, and take care.